You're listening to a podcast from Victory. A leader's folly is trusting his own wisdom. Know more about trusting God's wisdom in week four of Rise and Fall. We are now on our fourth installment of our series, Rise and Fall. Everybody say, Rise and Fall. You know, for those of you who are doing this for the first time, Rise and Fall is actually a series on leadership. One very famous uh, guy, a uh, teacher on leadership by the name of John Maxwell said that everything rises and falls on leadership. That all of us are actually leaders. Do you believe that? You are a leader? And, uh, you know, one of the things that we want as an objective for this series is we want to be able to choose the leaders that are worthy of following and emulating. And I realized that in just about a week, we are about uh, to choose our next leaders for the land from national to uh, local. How many of you are ready to vote? We need to pray. <laughs> You're not convincing, okay? Uh, but I believe that God really has something great that is uh, planning for this nation. Ultimately, as we've said earlier or in the previous weeks, that really the hands of this nation or this nation is not really in the hands of politicians, but it really rests on the hands of the sovereign God. Amen. And I believe God has a purpose for this nation. We believe that God wants to bless this nation. He is making a people ready for himself. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Amen. And we want to declare that. Come on, can we give the Lord a hand for that? We want to just continue to ask the Lord as we seek His face. And that's really one of our prayers that we will have wisdom in choosing our leaders. And also another purpose for this series is that we will also be the leaders that God is raising that is worth following and emulating as well. And so just to give us a quick run through of what we've talked about uh, we're in week four. Uh, first week we talked about King Abimelech. He, has, uh, he was actually the son of Gideon, one of the judges of Israel. He self-declared uh, well himself as king. And uh, because uh, the people or leaders during that time, the leaders of Shechem, were not willing to give a personal sacrifice over their personal gain. That's why a leader like Abimelech rose up, who's like a thorn bush in the nation of Israel. After that, we know that officially God gave Israel the first king, and he is uh, known as King what? What's the name of the first king? King Saul. And, uh, you know, one of his qualifications when he was uh, made king was, you know, he was like handsome, and he was a tall, uh, ahead above the rest. He's kind of like this uh, boy next door, you know, look. You know, he's tall, dark, and handsome. He started off great. Uh, you know, when he started, he was a bit, a bit unsure of himself. He was humble enough to be... Uh, Hiding behind the luggages before the proclamation as king, he showed restraint. He seemed to just have all the qualities of a leader, but you know, the question for us was, how can someone so right end up so wrong? After his life, you know, he basically disobeyed God. You know, he was more inclined to save his face and more inclined to save his reputation and ego rather than the face of God. And last week we talked about King David. And King David is the greatest king that Israel have ever had. And he's known to be the man after God's own heart. And though he was, you know, a very strong king, a warrior, he was a shepherd boy. He slew Goliath. He actually defeated a lion and a bear on his preparation to uh, facing Goliath. Uh, yet, as he was ruling as king, we know that 
he also made some mistakes and failures, and not just ordinary failures, but he actually committed a big sin before the Lord. How many of you remember that? In fact, some scholars are saying that he actually committed not just two sins of adultery and murder, but he actually broke six out of ten commandments. Because, you know, he set himself as a king. He became, uh, you know, he had his own idols. He dishonored the Lord, his God. He dishonored his family, uh, his mother and father. Uh, he bore uh, false witness by, you know, uh, doing a lot of connivance with his officials. He coveted his uh, neighbor's wife and so on and so forth. So, yet, despite all that sin, we know that the grace of God is amazing. Amen. That, you know, we... You know, we, when we go back to God and we, when we cry out for help, God will forgive. Amen. How many of you know that God is a great God? Amen. And His love endures forever. And so he went on to write the book of Psalm. And that, that, that's what David is known for. Today we're going to be looking at the son of David, who became the next king. And his name is King Solomon. And he is known to be the wisest king of Israel. And so the question is, was he really a wise king? What caused his rise in the kingship and what also caused his downfall? I'd like to invite everyone to stand. We're going to be reading from 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 3. Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of David his father, only he sacrificed and made offerings at the high places. And the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. Solomon used to offer a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. What a lavish offering. And in verse 5, at Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. And God said, ask what I shall give you. Verse 6, and Solomon said, you have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart toward you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love, and you have given him a son, he was referring to himself, to sit on his throne this day. Verse 7, And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of David my father, although I am but a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in, and your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Give your servant therefore, everybody say therefore, an understanding mind, everybody say understanding mind, to govern your people that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this great people? It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. And God said to him, because you have asked this and have not asked for yourself long life, or riches, or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right. Behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind, so that none like you has been before you, and none like you shall arise after you. He indeed was the wisest man. Verse 13, And I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. And if you will walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments, as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come before you right now in humility to learn this preaching of your word. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would give us illumination. Change our hearts, Lord. Lord, we humble ourselves today, Lord God, that apart from you, we can do nothing. 
And Lord, all wisdom and understanding can only come from you. And so even today, we're asking that you would give us wisdom, wisdom beyond our years, wisdom so that our hearts will not turn away from you, but wisdom to serve you and honor you and glorify you all the days of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody say, Amen. Amen. You know, the story of Solomon is really an interesting story. You know, he was a wise king. If you would just backtrack a bit, you know, last week we talked about David. And what was the sin of David again last, you know, when we studied it last week? Sin of David was murder and adultery. And who was the adulterous wife that he acquired or had? Bathsheba, okay? You, of course, you know why she's named Bathsheba, right? She likes taking a bath, okay? And so, uh, so anyway, so one of the first things that happened, you know, when, they, when Bathsheba said she was pregnant, they actually had a child. The first son, though, uh, got sick. And even when David was fasting before the Lord, unfortunately, the first child passed away. And the Bible says in 1 Samuel chapter 12 that after the first child died, David went on to comfort his wife. Now he's got Bathsheba as his wife. He comforted his wife and she became pregnant again with another son. And the Bible says that the Lord loved this son this time. And he said that he will be named Jedidiah. Everybody say Jedidiah. So he was the first Star Wars Jedi, okay? <laughs> kind of like Luke Skywalker, okay? So his name was Jedi or Jedidiah or Jedidiah, however you want to say or call him. And another name for Jedidiah was Solomon. So he would go for other names. I think King Lemuel is also another name that he has. But yet, Jedidiah means beloved of the Lord. That's great. That's a great name. Fast forward it a bit, when David was about 70 years old, and he was growing old, yet he hasn't really declared the next king who will succeed him on the throne. One of his sons, named Adonijah, everybody say Adonijah, who's the brother of Absalom, declared himself as king. Mahilig sila sa ganun. They want to grab onto position, and so what he did was, he contacted the chief of staff, Joab, who was loyal to David before, and Joab went with Adonijah together with another priest, and they basically had a proclamation rally that the next king of Israel after David would be Adonijah, and they had a big party. And so Nathan and Bathsheba heard about this, and they went to King David, and basically they asked, didn't you promise that the next king of Israel will be Solomon? And David reassured Bathsheba and Nathan that indeed, as long as the Lord lives, Solomon, my son, will be the next king. And so he went on and proclaimed, and he said, go ahead and have a bigger party than Adonijah. And so what happened was, the Bible said that when they, you know, when they shouted that, you know, Solomon, live, don't leave Solomon, and when they, you know, blew the trumpet, literally, the ground shook. And they heard it, you know, the other party, Adonijah's party, basically heard what happened, and they found out that King David declared Solomon as king, and they all scattered because they were scared for their life. And so that was the beginning of the story. That even, you know, when Solomon was proclaimed, there was already some controversy already to his kingship. But yet here is a man who was inexperienced, and we've read that scripture or verses, that God gave him so much. There was so much promise. And there was so much purpose in this man. And yet, we also know that if you fast forward his life, that he also made a lot of mistakes. 
I guess when you talk about his life, a good beginning does not guarantee a good ending. You may actually start very strong, but it doesn't mean that you will be guaranteed a strong finish. We've got to learn how to walk in step with the Holy Spirit. Amen. God wants us to finish strong. Solomon, the wisest and richest king that ever lived. There was none like him. Though he was the wisest, he actually ended up to be one of the foolish kings of Israel. The question for us is, Anyare? What happened? What happened to Solomon? I mean, he had wisdom and God gave him wisdom, but yet he ended up like a fool. You know, when you talk about wisdom, wisdom really is something that the world is trying to discover. How many of you would say that you need wisdom every day? Please raise your hand. I need wisdom. We need wisdom. We need wisdom in our decision making, right? You know, if you're a businessman, you need wisdom. Should I do this business? Should I enter into this transaction? If you're a student, how many of you students are enjoying your vacation right now? How many of you are still in, how many of you are still in class? Oh, wow. Still in class? Summer's not yet here? Okay. But yet, you know, in class, we need wisdom. Right? How many of you know that it takes wisdom for us to go and understand arithmetic? <laughs> or algebra, or trigonometry, or whatever, chemistry, or engineering subjects, or accounting subjects. Wow. We need wisdom. Wisdom is the ability to discern and judge what is true and right and lasting. In fact, when you talk about wisdom, wisdom is the right application of knowledge. And there's a big difference between worldly wisdom and godly wisdom. How many of you know someone or some people who are street smart? I mean, they seemingly know what to do. You know, when you, they go out, they have this lot of common sense. Okay, unfortunately nowadays, common sense is not so common anymore. Okay? But yet, when you look at some people, they are seemingly wise in the world standards. A worldly kind of wisdom is cunning. It's being crafty. It's being able to advance at the disadvantage of others. But a Gandhi kind of wisdom is different. A Gandhi kind of wisdom is God-honoring. A Gandhi kind of wisdom is not advancing our own turf or territory. Amen. But yet in the end, God will bless us if we walk in His wisdom. So the question for us today is, what kind of wisdom do we have and what can we learn from Solomon? You know, three things. I have a very simple preaching this evening. Three things about Solomon's wisdom. First is, this is the wisdom. You know, wisdom actually was desired by Solomon. He desired wisdom. Next point is, it is demonstrated. He showed the wisdom of God in his life and people saw that. You know, from different walks of life and from different nations, they came to Solomon to learn of his wisdom. Unfortunately, towards the end of his life, he despised wisdom. So the three points is wisdom desired. Everybody say desired. Wisdom demonstrated. Everybody say demonstrated. And then the last is wisdom despised. So let's look at wisdom desired. He desired wisdom. Let's go back to verse 7. You know, God basically asked Solomon, what do you want to ask? You know, if God showed up in your house or in your room one night and gives you a blank check of a promise, what will you ask? 
And if he says, you know, my son, my daughter, you know, you have been faithful to me. I want to give you anything that you want to ask. What will it be? Will it be riches? Will it be a boyfriend? Will it be, you know, travel? You know, I kind of remember there's a story of these three friends who were stuck in an island. Maybe some of you know this. They were walking down the beach, and one day they actually accidentally stepped on a bottle, and there's a genie in the bottle. You know, when they stepped on the bottle, wow, out came the genie, and the genie said, you know, I give you three wishes, one for each of you. There were three friends. The first friend said, I've been stuck in this island for many, many years with these three guys, and I want to go back home. And he said, that's it? Okay, you got your wish. And so he disappeared, and he went back home. Second guy said, I want to go around the world. I've been longing to see America and Europe and South Africa and the Philippines. And, you know, I want to be everywhere. So that's it. Okay, off you go. And so the two friends were out. And the third friend said, wow, I miss my friends. I wish for them to come back here right now. (laughs) That's it. Okay. So they're back to square one. (laughs) But if you were given a wish, what would the wish be? And this was Solomon's wish. Oh, now, my Lord, you have made your servant king in place of David, my father, although I am but a little child. He's saying, I am but a small boy. (laughs) For those of you who laugh, you know that song. It's kind of like old. But was he really a small child? Was he really a small boy at this point? And at this point, David was about 70 years old. So do the math. David was about 30 when he became king, ruled Israel for 10 years. He's 40 when he became, when he actually bore, uh, when Bathsheba bore Solomon, and now he is 70. So how old is Solomon? 30. Very good class. Now, my question is, is 30 a young child? Maybe not. But why did Solomon say this? Maybe he was exaggerating about who he was, or maybe it's because of his inexperience. He was now going into something or entering into a new responsibility that he is not used to doing. You know, he was probably looking at his father, King David, who's the greatest king of Israel, and said, I cannot compare myself with my dad. How can I rule with such authority? He was a warrior king. He was wise. You know, he was a psalmist. And, you know, uh, he, he slays Goliath when he was like 17 years old and he slew his uh, uh, lion and bear. And I'm I'm an inexperienced kid. I don't know how to go in and how to go out. How many of you know that that is a good starting point? Because that is a posture of humility. The moment we say, ah, kaya ko na to. That's it. Downfall happens. You know, God always gives grace to the humble and He opposes the proud. Amen. How many of you are humble? Please raise your hand. Uh, yeah, very good. It takes humility. To admit that you're humble, okay? Or vice versa. And then what he said is, And your servant is in the middle or in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for a multitude. And then he said this, So give your servant, I'm reading now from the NIV, Give your servant a discerning heart. Now he's talking about a discerning heart. In the ESV it says, Understanding mind. In the New King James Version, it's understanding heart. In the Message Bible, it's actually uh, written as God-listening heart. What a nice request from the Lord, right? 
You know, Solomon acknowledged that he's great, you know, he's about to lead this great people and he wants to have wisdom to govern your people, to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? And so God was pleased. And he said, moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for, both riches and honor. Of course, I'll give you wisdom so that in your lifetime you will have no equal among kings. And if you walk in my ways, notice the conditional promise of God, if you walk in my ways and obey my statutes and commands as David your father did, I will give you a what? A long life. And so he had wisdom. God gave him wisdom. And he started, you know, uh, writing Proverbs. You know, the Bible says he wrote about 3,000 Proverbs, about 1,000 plus songs or psalms. In fact, some of the excerpts from Proverbs that he wrote is, he was always emphasizing in getting wisdom. In Proverbs 4, 5, and 7, it says, get wisdom. Everybody say, get wisdom. Wisdom Wisdom is very important. He said, get wisdom, get understanding. Do not forget my words or swerve from them. In fact, Pastor Rain shared uh, earlier about Matthew 7, about a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the description of the wise man is, he was one who heard the word and obeyed the word. There's always a correlation of wisdom with the heart in obeying the word. Amen. We are not lacking in the word of God in this nation. We are just so immersed with the word. People go to church. You see that on television. You open the radio. You hear, you know, different programs. You know, whether it's TBN or CBN Asia or whatever. You see, you see all the different, uh, you know, preachings or preachers. And you attend small groups. We have Bibles everywhere. We are not lacking in the Word of God. But why is it that our lives are not getting better? It's because many people hear, but they are not doing the Word of God. That's why Moses told Joshua in Joshua 1.8, Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth, but meditate on it how many times? Day and night. Every day, day and night. So that you may be what? Careful to do everything written in them. And the promise of God to most of, of Moses, of God to Moses and Joshua is, then you will be prosperous and successful. Now let me ask you a question. How many of you would like to be prosperous? Please raise your hand. Lord, take a picture of all these people right now and prosper them right now. How many of you would like to be successful? Please raise your hand. That's like more than the number of people who would like to be successful or prosperous. Now how many of you read your Bible every day and are you know, doing everything that's written in it? Where are the hands? We see we'd like to be prosperous. We want to be successful. But are we willing to pay the price to read the word every day and are careful to do everything written in it? It's a promise. And I believe that more than just praying, there's something that we need to do about the word. Wisdom is applied knowledge. It deals with the heart. And yet, it doesn't stop there. We work And we actually obey the word. Verse 7, wisdom is supreme. Therefore, get wisdom. Though it costs you all you have, get understanding. Wisdom really is the principal thing. More than wealth, more than honor, more than a job, more than a wife, more than a husband, more than a girlfriend, more than anything, get wisdom. 
He went on to write Proverbs 4.23, Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. It talks about that there's a connection between wisdom and our heart, a discerning heart, a God-listening heart, a sensitive heart, an understanding heart. That is the wisdom that God, God wants to give to us. Amen. Proverbs 16.16 says, How much better to get wisdom than gold, to choose understanding rather than silver. And how do we get wisdom, really? He wrote that further in Proverbs 9, and he said, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Google is not the beginning of wisdom. Encyclopedia or Wikipedia is not the beginning of wisdom. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. When you have awe and reverence for the Lord, not wanting to displease Him, that's the beginning of wisdom. Amen. If you walk in uprightness and integrity, that is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. And we see that. Great start for Solomon. Now let's look at how his wisdom was demonstrated. You know, when he was now finally king, there were two prostitutes who approached him and said, you know, we're both mothers. And the first lady said, or the first woman said, you know, I gave birth to my child. And after three days, this woman also gave birth to hers. We're both nursing our children or our babies. There's no one else in the house. One time when she was nursing her baby, she accidentally lay on the baby and it died in her arms. And what she did was she switched her baby with mine. And lo and behold, when I woke up the next day, it was not my child. It was her baby. And the second woman is saying, no, that's your baby. That's not my baby. So both of them are coming to King Solomon. And King Solomon has to make a decision or judge which one is saying the truth. But the other woman said, no, the living one is mine. The dead child is yours. The first one said, no, the the dead child is yours. And the living child is mine. Thus they spoke before the king. And the king said, bring me a sword. So a sword was brought before the king. You know, this is like the picture of how civil authorities behave. You know, the Apostle Paul wrote about this in Romans chapter 14. That the government officials or civil rulers have a sword. And he is God's servant for your own good. If you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. That is in Romans chapter 14. He is God's servant, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoers. In other words, he gave a command to divide this cute little child. (laughs) And the king said, divide the living child in two. And give half to the one and half to the other. Now, if you are the soldier, how can you divide it? Crosswise or lengthwise, you know? But he was making a point. So the first woman said, Don't divide the child. Give the child to the woman. At least he lives. The second woman said, No, divide it. At least it's 50-50. 50% for you, 50% for me. Left for you, right for me. And this is what happened. (laughs) Then the king gave this ruling. Give the living baby to the first woman. Do not kill him. She is his mother. Wow. When they saw the wisdom being demonstrated by this wise king, the whole Israel 
heard about this and they stood in awe. Everybody say awe. What do you mean by stood in awe? Ah. Okay? They stood in awe. In other words, they were amazed. It's amazing. It's amazing. Okay? They stood in awe of him for they saw that the wisdom of God was with him to do justice. How many of you would like to have a king or a president like that? Come on now. And further in chapter 4, And God gave Solomon exceptionally much wisdom and understanding in the breath of mind like the sand of the seashore. Solomon's wisdom excelled the wisdom of all the peoples of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt. He was kind of like a walking encyclopedia. He talked about botany, he talked about zoology, he talked about astronomy, he talked about plant and fish and beasts and birds and air. He talked about everything under the sun. If there was a TV show during that time, the TV show would be entitled, Itanong Mo Kay Solomon. <laughs> he would answer anything. And he was so wise. His rule extended beyond Israel's border. Beyond the Palestinian border. Actually, it reached actually down the south, which is Egypt, Egypt's border. He had an ample supply of food, not only for his palace, but for everybody. He actually had a massive armed forces. 4,000 chariots and 12,000 horses. I mean, he protected all his borders. He could not be bullied by any nation. No one can claim any land that is not theirs. That was Sim Solomon. Wala ka pinapatamaan, okay? And the people of Judah and Israel were all happy that he was king. For he was wiser than all other men. He's famous in all the nations round about. He also originated or wrote 3,000 proverbs and his songs were 1,005. He spoke of trees from the cedar that is in Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out of the wall. He spoke also of beasts, of birds, of creeping things, and of fish. Men, men came from all peoples to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom. Can you imagine? It's kind of like going to Disneyland and people would come here. It's like the tourist attraction of Israel. They would come from all places and they would sit down and listen to him answer all difficult questions. He built a temple for the Lord for about seven years. He was the only one qualified to build a temple. His Father David was not qualified because the Lord said, you have too many blood in your hands. It's going to be your son Solomon who will build your temple. He also built his own palace, which is about probably three, three times the size of God's temple. He built the palace for 13 years and temple of God for about seven years and so on and so forth. Then there's one particular uh, queen that visited Solomon. Her name is Queen of Sheba. Okay? She was the one who sang the song Sheba. Okay? <laughs> then the queen of Sheba came to Solomon or to the, to the people of Egypt and heard about the fame of Solomon and its relation to the name of the Lord. And the reason why she came to Solomon was to test him with hard questions. Not just to listen to him, but she was ready to ask the hard questions. I mean, have you ever been interviewed, for example, in the U.S. Embassy or in any embassy, and you're here, here being interviewed, and you're scared to death <laughs> with what question they will ask? But Solomon was ready. Solomon said, 
Come on, give it to me. And so the, the, the queen of Sheba asked all the questions, and this is what she found out in verse 4. When the queen of Sheba saw all the wisdom of Solomon, it was not just wisdom that she heard from Solomon. She saw with her own eyes the wisdom of Solomon. It was wisdom demonstrated. And the palace he had built, the food on his table, the seating of his officials, the attending servants in their robes, his cup bearers, and the burnt offerings he made at the temple of the Lord. She was what? Overwhelmed. And she said to the king, the report I heard in my own country about your achievements and your wisdom is true. But I did not believe this until I came and saw with my own eyes. Indeed, not even half was told me in wisdom and wealth. You have far exceeded the report that I heard. I mean, talk about the splendor and the majesty of this king. And she said this, how happy your men must be. How happy your officials who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. Can you imagine if we have a wise president and his cabinet members are there listening to, you know, to, to this president. Wow, you are such a wise president. You know, can you imagine how we wish that we have such a president, kind of like Solomon. Yet, you know, his, incre- his wealth increased, his wisdom uh, was known all across the world. But yet, slowly, it turned his heart away from God. And it, which leads us to the third and what happened to him, his downfall. Ultimately, he despised wisdom. To despise means to jeer at, to sneer at, to mock, to disdain, to look at, or to look down, to shrink from. Yes, he was wise, but ultimately his wisdom was transferred and became transformed to foolishness. You know, how do we apply this? For example, you know, if you're a businessman, you know, wisdom of the world would say, you know, cheat on your taxes. Because the more you cheat, the more you can give to church. I mean, is that wisdom from God or wisdom from the world? Really, we have to test, you know, what we're hearing from. If you're a single person, for example, and you, you, know, you know the fact that the scripture is talking about do not be an equally yoked unbeliever, and yet you find someone in your office or someone on the internet who looks good, who seems good, and you know, he said, Lord, I'll just pray for this guy. born again na namin sa church. You know how it is sometimes the standards that we have changes. You know, as a young Believer, for example, a woman is asking the Lord, Lord, give me one who is a, you know, a worshiper of God, one who fears the Lord, one who loves you more than he loves me at the age of 20. And then after 20, there's no one yet. At the age of 30, now she's praying, Lord, give me one, you know, a man who is uh, you know, uh, godly, who, is, uh, you know, who knows how to walk with you. And then at the age of 40, wala pa rin. Now at 40, she's praying, Lord, just give me a man. Just a man. Anyone, any man. (laughs) Number standards. I mean, sometimes we think of wisdom as getting ahead of ourselves or getting advances in our life. 
If you're a student, for example, and you're faced with an exam, you know, and you know that it's final exams tomorrow, but the whole day today you're playing Dota, and you're asking, Lord, Lord, give me wisdom just like Solomon so that I can perfect my test. It doesn't work that way, guys. You got to learn how to study. And some of you will say, oh, I know what to do. It is better to cheat than to repeat, you know. <laughs> the wisdom of the world. In fact, there's so many things about the book of Proverbs that we need to read. Even a fool is thought wise when he keeps silent. Because in many words, sin is not absent. You know, even, you know, us, practical living. You know, if you know someone who talks too much. Do you know someone who talks too much? <laughs> The Bible says, in many words, sin is not absent. The more you speak, the more chances of saying the wrong things. Amen. And Jesus said, we will be held accountable for every careless word that we have spoken. Hello. Tell the person beside you, he's not talking about you. Hindi ikaw yon, Yung katabi mo. Do you know someone who's quick-tempered? You know, the prudent, the Bible says the prudent knows how to keep their anger in check. But a fool shows his annoyance at once. That's why in the book of James it says, Be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Wisdom. There's so much that we can learn from the scriptures. Amen. And are we walking in the ways of the world or are we walking in the ways of God? Now let's go back to Solomon. How did he despise the wisdom that God has given him? In chapter 11, verse 1, Now King Solomon loved, everybody say loved, loved many foreign women along with the daughter of Pharaoh. The problem of Solomon was he was a lover boy. He did not just love one. He did not just love two. He loved many foreign wives from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the people, You shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you. For surely, I would say surely. surely. I love surely. For surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. And yet Solomon clung to these. Who are the these here? The women in love. He's a lover boy. <laughs> Check out verse 3. Solomon had how many wives? 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines. I mean concubines. And his wives turned away his heart. Can you imagine? Everyone say, Amazing. I mean, having one wife is enough. Because she is a blessing. You know, some scholars said that it's not really the thousand wives that turned his wife away from the Lord. It's the one thousand mother-in-laws that actually turned... No, let's kid you, okay? That turned... No, mother-in-laws are great, okay? In verse 4, for, for when Solomon was old... His wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. 
You know, the problem with this is, you know, if you compare the three kings of Israel, King Saul was the first king. He has no heart for God. It's all about him. It's all about his ego. It's all about his reputation. David had a whole heart devotion for the Lord. Solomon had half heart, middle ground. One foot here, one foot out the door. And he worshipped the Lord, and yet he worshipped and loved other wives as well. What went wrong? What went wrong? He started off right. He started off great. In verse 3 of chapter 3, Solomon what? Loved the Lord. That was his beginning. He loved the Lord. Walking in the statutes of father, of David his father. Yet we now see a shift in chapter 11, verse 1. Now King Solomon loved what? Many foreign women. From the Lord to everybody. He gave his heart away. And Solomon clung to these in love. So the Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. And this was the judgment of God. Therefore, everybody say, therefore. The Lord said to Solomon, Since this has been your practice and you have not kept my covenant and my statutes that I have commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom from you and will give it to your servant. This is the first official civil war. Not the Avenger civil war, but civil war in Israel. The northern kingdom versus the southern kingdom. And the descendants of Solomon and David only got two of the tribes, and the ten tribes went to one of his servants, Jeroboam. When Solomon grew old in his life, he was looking at, wow, what happened? He wrote the Proverbs, book of Proverbs. He wrote several Psalms. Then he went on to write Song of Solomon. But at the end of his life, he had one final writing, which is the book of Ecclesiastes, to summarize his life. And this is what he said as an excerpt. I amass silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired men and women singers and a harem as well, the delights of the heart of a man. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. Can you imagine? God's wisdom was still with him. You know, God is not an engine giver. The gifts and the calling of God is irrevocable. And yet, he misapplied the wisdom of God in his life. Yet, it was still with him. He was still writing at the end of his life. He was still wise at that point. In verse 10, I denied myself nothing. Everybody say nothing. Nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my work. And this was the reward for all my labor. In fact, what he's saying is, I worked for this. I deserve it. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I have toiled to achieve, this is the summary, everything was meaningless. And you would see that in the book of Ecclesiastes, in almost every chapter, this word always comes about, everything is meaningless. Vanity, vanity, vanity. Everything was vain. A chasing after the wind, nothing was gained under the sun. This was a man who's rich, full of glory and honor. He had everything that the world can offer, yet what in his life he's saying, meaningless. Really, when you talk about life, what is it all about? And then he writes these last two verses in the last chapter of Ecclesiastes. The end of the matter. All has been heard. 
Fear God. Everybody say, fear God. And keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Fear God. It's not about acquiring wealth, guys. Fear God. It's not just about being successful in our career. Fear God. It's not about having all the A's in your class at the expense of your integrity. Fear God. It is about, you know, just uh, living a life, uh, you know, that you can actually just have all the wealth and all the pleasure in your life. No, it's fear God. Fear God and obey His command. Let's learn from the wisest king of Israel and about his failure. Even the greatest wisdom will not keep us from sin if our hearts are turned away from God. You know, in 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul was writing about the wisdom of this age and he was basically countering you know, the philosophers of this age. You know, during the, that time, the Greeks were the, the known intellectuals, the philosophers. And he wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? And he went on to challenge. I believe God is challenging the wisdom of, his, of this age and of this world. For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. Jews demanded miraculous signs and Greeks looked for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. Really, this is, in the eyes of the world, foolishness. What Jesus Christ did on the cross, for them, he says, they say, it's useless. Why does Jesus have to die? You know, even a good man can actually die, but they didn't understand the wisdom of God in what Jesus Christ did. They didn't realize that because of man's sin, he had to pay the price and the penalty so that we can actually be absolved and forgiven for our sins. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God, for the wisdom or the, for, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Let's bow our heads right now as we come to a close. our heads are bowed down every eye closed maybe some of you are here and you have not received the forgiveness of God through Christ and I want to give a chance for some of you who are here and who would like to have a fresh start and a reset and receive the forgiveness of God and receive the promise of God by giving eternal life to us today we can be sure and this is probably the greatest and the most important decision that anyone can make in his life because this deals with eternity. And if you are here today and you realize that you are far from God and sometimes you are living the life that is not pleasing to Him, but yet today what you're saying is you want to have a fresh start and you want to receive forgiveness and you want to receive His promise of eternal life. What Jesus Christ did on the cross was more than enough. You don't have to add to that because it was complete when He said, It is finished. The price has been paid. 
the debt has been canceled. All we have to do is just to come to Him and receive the gift of eternal life. And if you are that person with no heads, uh, with no eyes looking around, and every eyes, uh, every head bowed down, if you are that person, can you just quickly raise up your hands so that I know who I'm talking to? If you want to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, just lift up your hand right now so that I can pray for you. Anyone at all? Let's lift it up before the Lord. Yes, ma'am, God bless you. I see that hand. Anyone else? Just lift it up very quickly so I can lead you into a prayer. Yes, ma'am, God bless you. Anyone else? Thank you, Lord. Just lift it up right now before the Lord. The Bible says, If you hear the voice of God, do not harden your heart because today is the day of your salvation. Just a few more seconds before we pray. Yes, ma'am, God bless you. I see that hand. If you have raised your hand, I want you to pray this prayer out loud. In fact, I want to invite everyone to pray this prayer out loud. Let's say, Lord Jesus, I confess that I am a sinner needing a Savior. I want to ask for your forgiveness. And I thank you for going to the cross to pay the penalty for my sins. I confess that Jesus is Lord and believe in my heart that He is raised from the dead. Thank you, Lord, for granting me a fresh start and for giving me eternal life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Can we just give the Lord praise for them right now? Let's all stand up right now all across this room. Just before we sing this song, can we just lay our hands on our heart just before we sing this song? And let's pray. Father God, we ask you would give us a new heart, a discerning heart, a heart that is whole and pleasing to you, Lord God. We thank you that you will impart wisdom to your people, Lord God. Wisdom to discern between right and wrong and the character and the will to obey your word. We glorify you today, Father God, in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to one of our podcasts. We hope it blesses and inspires you to honor God and make disciples. For more messages like these or to access other resources, please visit victory.org.ph or download the Victory app for free on the iTunes Store or Google Play. If you would like to share a story of God's faithfulness in your life, please visit victory.org.ph slash mystory.